Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast. And as usual, I'm joined by Boston Ward. Hello, Boston. Hello, my friend. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. My head's still spinning. It's early in the week. News has been coming at us like a like a uh, washing machine on spin cycle that can't seem to get to the finish. And uh, I think it's just going to get more rapid as it goes, right? Yeah, I mean, you would hope at some point that somebody would, I don't know, unplug the washing machine and let things slow down and make sure that it's still operating and give it a chance to catch up. But uh, You're talking about go to soap cycle, right? You, got, you know, I, I don't know ex- exactly what all the settings are, but – you gotta gotta open up the lid and let it stop for a second. I'm gonna tell Allison when you just said that because obviously you've never used a washing machine before. You've been outed. Well, I get I get in trouble when I use it. I guess it's because I don't know all the cycles. But um, it's this is not. Um, it's at some point there has to be a resolution and not um, three different groups of people trying to make different decisions and and impose it on the others and. Yeah, I know that only one of them truly matters and has the deciding vote, but this, um, the way that it has played out over the last seven days, six days, has been hard to really wrap your mind around. And it's been so disjointed, and I really think that it's been uh, a bad, bad look for the Big Ten in a yeah. number of different ways. And there might be lasting repercussions for that, but we'll have a lot more opportunity to dive into that. But it's been hard to keep up with exactly – what they're doing because they take two or three or four steps forward and then 10 back. It's not, it's not a two or one deal, you know, to borrow that cliche. They were going last week felt like full steam ahead until Saturday and then a screeching halt. Yeah. Well, you know what, we're going to talk about that as soon as we uh, get, uh, as soon as we get back from uh, my conversation with my special guest this week, uh, a fellow some Ohio state fans, I think have heard of and still remember Rex Kern, quarterback of the 1968 National Championship team, part of that super soft uh, group that went on to have three spectacular, could have been even bigger years, <laughs> as it turns out. But, you know, I, I just kind of want to lean on him because he keeps up with what's going on in the in the college football world. He, huge still uh, Ohio State fan, et cetera. And uh, just want to get his take on what, the way he's uh, eyeballing this from like his uh, confines there near Denver, Colorado, because uh, – you know, this is this is mind-boggling. As you and I talk right now, uh, it's 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 Monday afternoon. Uh, by Tuesday of this week, uh, we fully expect probably uh, we fully expect probably there's a there's a <laughs> there's an oxymoron, but we fully expect probably to learn what the Big Ten is going to do for the fall, or whether it's going to kick the get can down the uh, down the road a little bit more and maybe delay like Ryan Day wants them to do or whether they're just going to pull the plug on the season, and then what? But we're going to get to that when you and I come back, the then what part. But, uh, you know, folks, just sit back and enjoy this conversation I had with Rex Kern, and I'll be back in just a few minutes with Boston Ward. As promised, ladies and gentlemen, I'm back with a blast from the past. I mean, a big-time blast from the past. Rex Kern, thanks for joining the Tim May Podcast. Uh, Thanks, Tim. Great to be with you. Dude, uh, summarize your your thoughts right now, you know, the – uh, it looks like the college football season is probably not going to happen as we, as you and I record this situation, this uh, podcast. Uh, you know, stranger things have happened, but uh, just what are your thoughts right now? Is now a, a, what I'd call a glorified fan sitting out there, and where, where you're in, uh, 
you're in you're in Colorado if I if I'm correct on that. But just what's your take on what's been going on, man? Boy, it's a completely different world today, Tim. Uh, you know, uh, with what has all been going on, uh, you and I were talking off camera earlier. Uh, that reflects back to 1968 and what all we had going on on our campus at Kent State, uh, the riots, uh, and a totally different uh, situation because this this coronavirus is really uh, really scary, and yeah. uh, you know we see what's happened in Major League uh, Baseball, uh, and teams coming in different locker rooms, uh, trying to keep everybody safe and healthy. Um, you know, uh, we we just came back to uh, <laughs> we just came back to Denver because we uh, also uh, uh, summer up in uh, a big metropolis in Ennis, Montana, which go. houses about four hundred uh, full time residents, and uh, we I I couldn't believe by evening we turned the news on and all of a sudden uh, COVID had increased and uh, in that small little area we, we were just in a cocoon and so coming back uh, to Denver has not been too bad because uh, people here are social distancing but you know wearing masks and, uh, <laughs> and, and quite frankly uh, Tim, you know, when I went from a college quarterback to a uh, defensive back, I got to play with some uh, defensive guys that were, you know, not real happy campers whenever somebody had come, like Bubba Smith or Ted Hendricks or Mike Curtis. And in pileups, I'm telling you what, those guys would probably bite you or spit at you. And, uh, you know, with the COVID, you know, I don't know. Yeah. And, I think what our ADs and commissioner are trying to think is, how do we keep our kids safe, but how do we play in an environment like this? And it is really going to be quite challenging to, uh, you know, see a season go forward in in the fall, but at the same time, uh, boy, that sure leaves a whole bunch of Buckeye fans and college football fans uh, uh, sitting on the sidelines, and it, it's just a new, different world that we have. Yeah, you know, it's crazy because, uh, you know, people want to look at this in all kinds of different ways, and uh, one of which is, <clears throat> you know, one of the prevailing opinions is that, uh, you know, if, if college football had pressed forward, it was going to be all about the money because they need the money. Well, obviously they do. They count on that income, you know, from – from uh, television revenue, et cetera, from the, from the football season. But like you just touched on, you know, college football is much more than a revenue-generating sport and, and uh, much more than just an athletic endeavor. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people <laughs> are invested emotionally, uh, et cetera, with their college football teams. Ohio State, probably the biggest – uh, the biggest group out there, you know, and uh, I think it's probably surpassed Notre Dame now in terms of just national uh, scope, uh, just from the alumni base. And Alabama, oh, yeah. you know, Texas, you know, I grew up in Alabama and Texas before I moved to, to the great state of Ohio, and it was the same way down there. It's not, it, it's, it's, it's literally part of the way of life. So you understand 
as well as anybody, the void this will leave, right? Well, absolutely, Tim. And uh, you, you really touch on it because <laughs> uh, let me give you a couple of stories. Uh, oh, it was probably 20, 25 years ago, even longer than that. Uh, we had an opportunity to, uh, to go to Switzerland. And uh, so uh, my family and I went over and our boys were probably eight and 10 years of age. And we're walking down the street in Zermatt, uh, Switzerland area. And the boys are saying to me, they're following behind Nancy and I, and they go, hey dad, I think this guy across the street knows you. And I said, come on, let's go. I said, because at the end of the day in this Zermatt city, they put uh, goats down the street and then they, you know, clean up their mess behind them. And yeah. so we were on the opposite side, Tim. And then this uh, gentleman and his wife, they were, yeah, I had to be about 25 or 30 because they were about 50 at that time. And they <laughs> said, uh, excuse me, uh, you don't have to be Rex Kern, do you? I said, Depends whether you're from a school up north or if you're a Buckeye. And he said, oh, no, we're Buckeyes. He said, you know what? My wife and I, all we do is travel and go to Ohio State football games. And uh, we, we do have our alumni that we follow all over the world and find people all over the world. Yeah. So, and the cohesiveness of that is like uh, your foundation in this conversation is that's college football and yeah. college football has grown to be, you were saying hundreds of thousands, but it's millions and millions of people. And uh, uh, where, where we live here in the Denver area now, unfortunately, we got a guy down the street from us who went to that school up in Ann Arbor. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of fun here in the neighborhood. And uh, they tell me they don't want to see that Buckeye uh, flag flying. And then I've got another guy that's down the street that uh, he's from Maryland. I said, well, you guys are step kids. You just came in late yeah. to the Big Ten. And uh, so, I mean, the breadth and the depth of college football is just quite astounding. Rex, what do you think about the conspiracy that uh, maybe this is going on because Michigan doesn't want to play Ohio State again? <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what I said to my friend the other day from uh, that school up north. I said, hey. hey, you know, <laughs> well, yeah. I'll be careful here, but I said – you know how we felt. You got our Cooper up there. <laughs> there you go. Hey, John Cooper, you know, is a good guy, though. You know that, man. Two yeah. ten and one. But yeah, John, uh, he can't John, escape John, that. Yeah, John's a great guy. Uh, John really is a super person and uh, did a lot of great things for us at Ohio State. Yeah, except, I, except the big one. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. But, you know, they're, what, two, seven, two and 17 over the last uh, – 19 years, so they've surpassed uh, that 210-1 mark uh, yeah. almost twice. Hey, I wanted to get you, get you on this, though. I mean, you know, uh, back in 68, you know, you were a rising sophomore. You were part of the super softs and stuff, but there was all this other stuff going on like we touched on. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and Robert F. Kennedy assassinated that year. Um, 
the, the race riots that followed uh, a lot of those things. Uh, the Vietnam War was at its height. That was, I think, the deadliest year for Americans, American troops over there. I think 16,000 American troops were killed over there in that one year, if I'm not mistaken. It was, it was crazy times going on. How did you guys cocoon or kind of keep it together? I mean, I, I would think it's probably reminiscent, reminiscent about the way this team has kind of kept its focus despite everything that's going on. But go ahead. Well, Tim, it, it all starts at the top. I, I've had the opportunity to meet our head coach uh, now, currently, Brian Day, and what a terrific person he is. And uh, he's a great asset to our university, and especially to our program. But uh, WWAs was a military guy, and he uh, he he brought us all together. And Tim, he just kind of uh, you use a pretty good word. We were in a cocoon. He, he kept us close together. Uh, he wanted us to stay off the oval, uh, not get involved. Um, you know, we had uh, more important things to do, and he wanted to keep us as one unit. And that's basically what we did. We, we were focused, and, of course, we could isolate uh, because we were off campus over at the uh, Ernie Biggs facility, yeah. And so it was just uh, trying to go to class uh, and get your grades. Uh, let's come play football. And we were just totally focused in on those uh, priorities. Did, did Y'all were a super talented team, obviously. You know, you guys still wagging all you guys, Tatum, all you guys. Uh, but did it help y'all even – do you think the distractions helped y'all focus more that year, if you follow my drift? I mean, uh, to go unbeaten, obviously, win the, win the Rose Bowl and win the national championship. Do you, in some ways, did that help sort of heighten the focus? That, that's pretty interesting evaluation, Tim. I, I would think so. Because that way, uh, we probably hyper-focused on uh, what our task was. And, you know, each each week it was – who do we play? And then at the end of practice, we would practice a little bit for those guys up north. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, it was pretty good. In fact, uh, <laughs> Woody being a great uh, strategist, uh, he, he pulled in uh, one of our centers, Jim Conroy, and called him called him on the phone one morning, and this is a great story that Jim tells. I love it. Every time we have our reunion, I say, you can to tell me that story again. So he says, the old man calls him, and he goes, uh, Jim, I want you over to my office at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. And he goes, oh, boy, what I do? I, you know, I've been going to class. I haven't skipped anything. I've uh, been going to study table. Okay. So he gets over with his office, and Woody's got a stack of books about this high. And Jim sits down and he goes, now, Jim, I want you to take these books and I want you to read these because that's what these rioters are thinking about and this is what their theory is. And you report back to me every day at 2 o'clock and you're going to be my spy over on campus. And, wow. And, and, and so, 
So, you know, the old man wanted to keep touch. Now, he would go on, he would go at the Oval, and he would speak over there at times, and, uh, but uh, he didn't really want us around there much at all. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, crazy. Uh, uh, put yourself in these players' shoes now, though, uh, Rex. You know, they've dedicated themselves. I know you're keeping up with stuff. Our reports from LettermanRoe.com and other places, uh, you know, just how <clears> – <throat> Focus they were on getting this season in, determined they are. Even their parents are, are you know, were speaking up about it and stuff. But uh, what would be your words of wisdom to them now, you know, from the standpoint of it looking like the season is probably not going to happen? What would be your words of wisdom to them? Boy, Tim, uh, I haven't given a great deal of thought to that. Off the cuff, I would probably say, you know, since it is so new and since Doggone it, since college football has uh, been completely different than when we played because – Yeah, I was going to get to that. I'm a firm believer in uh, first and foremost when I was recruited to come to Ohio State. In fact, Fred Taylor started recruiting me long before Woody did. (laughs) And – all that Fred and Woody talked about was you'll come to Ohio State, and first and foremost, you'll graduate from our university. Well, we don't see that any – I mean, we still hope our kids graduate, but they're not here for four or five years any longer. Mm-hmm. And if, if we're not recruiting the best athletes in the country, they're only going to be here like a junior college. They're going to be here two years and gone. And so hopefully, like we've done at Ohio State, we've set up where these kids who leave early can come back, and we do have scholarships available for them, uh, which we participate in. And so, uh, boy, it's a whole different world, you know. And then on top of that, well, because of that, you've got these young kids who – are so talented, are they going to come out after their sophomore year? And if that's the case, you know, we've got kids on this team right now or young men that say, well, if we play in spring, uh, you know, if I get hurt, uh, am I a Joe Burrow or am I – do I drop to third or fourth round? Yeah. So – Joe Burrow or Joe Zero. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And not many zeros behind the name. Right. Yeah. That's a and good one. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you know, that, that's really a tough call, uh, Tim. And uh, I, I, I really don't know uh, what the kid's choice will be. You, you know, you hope it's yeah. the right one for them in their situation. But, uh, you know, for us, I will guarantee – any of those athletes that they will have a greater future if they get their college degree, because there has been proven studies that over the lifetime, they are going to earn more income with that degree than even a big NFL contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, th- that's just my position on that and doggone it. Uh, I'm sticking to it. <laughs> NFL stands for not for long for most guys. 
if at all. Absolutely. Uh, but I wanted to ask you this. You know, we're talking about the masses, you know, the millions of people who follow Ohio State football. And, uh, you know, you know the thing, the, the, you know, the debate, it's not, not really a debate, the debate's really reached ahead about, you know, whether these guys should share much more of the pie that's, uh, that's developed by uh, basically media rights, et cetera. And, you know, at one point, you know, I, you were a, thought a serious candidate for the athletic directorship at Ohio State, and I think they missed the bucket there at one point when they didn't go with you. But that's another conversation for another day. But uh, where do you stand on players sharing more of the, uh, for one of another term, the profits that they help generate and help sustain uh, the Ohio State football, the Ohio State athletic program? Well, again, I go back to the altruistic approach, uh, but today the uh, uh, the mentality and the uh, image of uh, of what is going on in college uh, football, in particular, is that there's a great deal of money that is generated, and rightfully so. But of course. Uh, you know, as we break that down, we look at, okay, how much money does it cost to house and feed and educate, uh, you know, the total athletic program? And like at Ohio State University, we have one of the largest uh, sports program, intercollegiate sports program of all the competitive colleges. And by golly, it it takes a lot of money to run those. you know, uh, I, hey, see, Tim, when we played, I think uh, uh, we we got a Sunday night meal uh, stipend, 12, 15 bucks, maybe it was that much. Wow. Hey, we'd go down and we'd get a sub sandwich and buy my girlfriend one, and hey, we're seventh heaven. You yeah. Know? And yeah. So we, we, we were all we were all happy. And and Tim, I hate to bring this up, but my dear, uh, my dear dear friend Rod Masajowski, he goes, "Hey Rex, you know what? You remember when Chick Harley would come into our locker room? That's us now. When we go in the Ohio State <laughs> locker room, you know, hey." Those guys look at us and go, you played here? Yeah. No. Well, you, you had to be the manager on the team. Well, <laughs> well we, we, we kind of set the standard, guys. But, uh, uh, Jim, I, I think uh, there has to be some kind of compromise like in most anything. And I think uh, our athletic director, Dean Smith, doing a great job in – helping uh, guide us in the Big Ten through that. And, uh, you know, I think the kids uh, should have some, but then all of a sudden, you you know, you kind of feel from a holistic view that, okay, now now are they really amateurs or Mm -hmm. are they being – is this a a more – uh, austere view of uh, the NFL farm clubs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I think we'll always chase that uh, tail around the dog and uh, figure it out, though. I, I yeah. think uh, I think it's too big and it's too popular and it's too, uh, too, too important to way too many people. Or no, the amount of people, but it's yeah. – it's important. 
Well, as I've talked to you know people too, uh, once you get to pure paying players, then you're talking about contract situations. You're talking about third parties getting involved. You know, even with the name, image, and likeness thing that they're trying to get, you know, trying to get some handle on and and uh, pass for these fellas, you're going to have to have somebody supervising your situation. You know, but the flip side of it is, is as one by one person highly involved in college football told me, well, you know what? When you get into a contract situation or you're signing players and let's say second year, they're not panning out, you know, you know, you really, what's your obligation to them? And then what's their obligation to you? Or are they obligated to you for four years, for example? You know, you're not, I mean, or is this just going to be a stepping stone always to the NFL? Now, the other thing I want to say, well, I want to talk to about you real quick, Rex, is though, I really do believe the players should share a little bit more of the pie. But the flip side of the pie is if you took this collection of most players on college campuses and put them over in Columbus Crew Stadium and put a different uniform on them, okay, and uh, and had a league of those guys playing guys like Alabama with a different kind of uniform on, I'm talking about the players, yeah. what makes college football different? is the fact of the millions that follow it based on their fandom for their particular teams, et cetera. I think the XFL has shown you can have some quality football players, but people still not show up to watch it, you know? So <laughs> yeah. part of the, a major part of the attraction and the uh, money generating aspect of things is the fact you've got Ohio State on your uniform. Flip side of it is you got to have Rex Kearns and Jim Stillwagons and Justin Fields and Wyatt Davises to keep that going, right? So Absolutely. there's that middle ground you got to get to, right? Yeah, there is. And, and then, Tim, do you get into the situation which would break the whole team concept? Does, uh, you know, does yeah. a running back or a quarterback say, no, wait a minute, you know, uh, I, I'm worth a little bit more. And I guarantee you no – no football team would ever survive with that kind of mentality because we are far better as a team than we are individually. And I'll tell you what, uh, uh, I, I, I saw that time and time again, you know, in, in our program and what we saw, it was uh, – Every guy was for one another. It was not a look at me. It is look at us. Yeah. Uh, and if we start becoming individuals, then the whole whole system would break down, and we don't want that. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, the way I sum it up, college football coaching was meant to be a career for people. College football playing – was not meant to be a career. You know, there are time limits. So uh, I, just, I just think we're in – I mean, imagine being Gene Smith right now, man. You're juggling all this <laughs> Oh, stuff. yeah. Oh, I know. Right? I know. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, Rex, it's always a slice every time I talk to you, my man. I appreciate I hope you're staying healthy. Are you staying healthy? I am, Tim. I am. I'm very healthy. Uh, feeling the best I've felt in uh, – probably 50 years after about 15 surgeries, seven yeah. back surgeries, two total hip replacements, shoulder surgeries, hand surgeries, ear surgeries. Man, hey, uh, hey, hey, it's brutal, man. 
Yeah. Hey, hey I better what? talk to I better talk to my backside tackle, Anna. I was gonna say, man. I mean, you're a walking talking example. You know, sometimes <laughs> you sacrifice short term. You know, right? To uh, to have some short term benefits. But real quick though, I've asked guys: as you look back, was it worth it? Yes, every bit, every bit. You know, for me, uh, Tim, and and I think my class and the guys I played with. That was the only way we were going to get uh, a college education. And uh, fortunately, uh, you know, Tim, I wasn't very smart, so I had to go back three times and get three degrees from Ohio <laughs> State University. And, uh, you know, in fact, uh, before, uh, well, I, I did a longitudinal study on Woody Hayes uh, for his uh, first year at Ohio State and uh, found that 87% of Woody's varsity of football players graduated and another 37% went on to graduate or professional school. Wow. So uh, that speaks volumes. Yeah, y'all left your mark. Hey, let me ask you one last thing before we get out of here. If in fact – we don't get to see Justin Fields play this year and possibly not, you know, because you would think he'd be one of those guys like Trevor Lawrence at Clemson be thinking heavily <laughs> about the NFL and moving on. Well, what are, what are fans going to miss? I would think you as a former quarterback, uh, just number one, we're probably pretty amazed as the year went on last year, the way he developed, but we're probably looking very much forward to what you were going to see this year. Yes, yes, because I, I think uh, uh, with Joe Burrow go, going to uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, you know, that the, the hard part is if you're so good at that position, you normally go to the worst NFL team by record. And yeah. so you, you're thrown into the fire pretty quick. And uh, I, I still remember when uh, I went to Baltimore – course uh, I went as a defensive back because they had a guy by the name John Unitas and Earl Morrill that backed them up and uh, Bubba Smith was challenging all of our running backs to a 40-yard dash and <laughs> Bubba said here's a hundred bucks anybody can beat me take it nobody could beat him nobody would take him on <laughs> and I'm thinking this guy is 6'8 285 not an ounce of fat on him yeah. and uh, I don't uh, believe we played against anybody in college that big that fast and so uh, with these uh, young kids coming out uh, I think Justin would would do exceptionally well to get another year of seasoning under him and uh, and grow and maturation from the body standpoint as well to get a little bigger and stronger in certain areas and uh all that's a maturation process as well as the dynamics of seeing different defenses, different coverages. And I'll tell you what, uh, Jim, uh, I was really fortunate uh, in my short NFL career, I had the opportunity to play uh, in several playoff games. And when you get to the playoffs, it is nanoseconds. I'm telling you what. You see that stuff, and all of a sudden, you think Paul Warfield is a five-second, 40-yard dash? 
all of a sudden he runs by you and you go, shoot, where'd that guy go? You know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, so things happen really fast and really quick and you just don't really get those dynamics uh, fully until you get up to the NFL. Yeah. But watching Justin Fields last year, though, is it amazing how far the quarterback position has evolved? I mean, oh. what, what, just, what just stands out about that player in particular? Oh, I, I think uh, – Remember, he's 6'3", 225, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like 5'11", 173. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there's just a little bit of difference. Okay. Uh, just uh, – I mean, uh, there was so much progress – and his whole mannerism. Uh, but <clears throat> I would say the biggest thing that uh, separated him last year was his poise and his timing and being able to read the defense and knowing where his receivers are going to be. Yeah. Uh, he just uh, – you could just see that he was carrying himself in a different way, and he was in command of the offense, and uh, his teammates were thriving off of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rex, slice of life, man. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for coming on the Tim May Podcast, my man. Okay, thanks for having me, Tim. Appreciate it. All right, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back in a moment with my with my good buddy, Austin Ward. You know, Boston is uh, – as Rex pointed out in that interview, and I, I pointed it out to him too, college football, everybody wants to talk about, you know, the safety of the, for the players, which is paramount in this thing. I think it's been at the forefront uh, in the mind of Gene Smith, Ryan Day all along as they've tried to prepare this team for this strange season. Uh, they want to talk about the money that's involved if, in fact, Ohio State and the Big Ten have to cancel or have canceled the season. Uh, but what – but what he and I also talked about was the fact that college football is so ingrained in people's minds. I'm talking about millions, tens of millions of people live for that time of the year when they're rooting for their favorite team. So it's not just, it's not just about the money involved. There will be a huge void uh, if there isn't some form or fashion of college football played. And I think you agree with that. I, I don't, there's no question about that. Um, and the toll on this could be a mental for untold thousands of people. Uh, physically, the only people that, you know, would be missing out would be the, the football team. But um, there is a heavy, heavy financial toll that would be paid uh, for college campuses and communities that w when university presidents are, are trying to protect tuition dollars and, you know, the academia and the, uh, the wide world of universities and colleges, it makes sense. I understand it. it's not lip service, but that's their direct bottom line. If every other business in their town, every restaurant, every, uh, you know, t-shirt shop goes under, well, there's not going to be a lot of people signing up to go to your school in the first place. I, I, you can't just focus solely on protecting that academic side. The NCA and a lot of, and the member institutions have kicked this, this can, this particular can of amateurism, down the road as far as it can go. To save uh, communities like Ann Arbor, Michigan, or Stillwater, Oklahoma, or Eugene, Oregon, you have to play football. Mm -hmm. You just do. And the, the repercussions of this, 
without exploring every every possibility to play, man, it's it's almost unthinkable. Yeah, but I you know I just go back to the sweat equity that's been put in by the players involved and by the coaching staffs involved. Yeah, they want to play. It's it's just like if you work at a factory or you work at a uh, a convenience store or wherever you work and you haven't been able to work because of the COVID-19 situation, you're champing at the bit to get back to work, you know, and obviously, you know, this thing probably opened up way too more quickly than it should have. But, but the point was, it's no different for these guys. I mean, they want to do what they've been training their whole lives to do uh, in coaching professions. And, you know, like uh, some, in some respects, 40, 50 years, you know, Greg Madison, uh, Larry Johnson, those guys, they want to, you know, pursue their profession. Brian Hartline has said, you know, <laughs> he'll play anywhere. Basically, I'm, I'm uh, paraphrasing, but basically said Ohio State would play anybody anywhere, anytime. I'm pretty much, you know, as he re- re- reacted to the news on Monday, some of which was premature in terms of maybe the vote that was taken by uh, a vote that was not taken by Big Ten presidents, which was reported to have been taken. But the idea that they've sort of agreed uh, – to pull the plug on the 2020 season. We'll see how that goes as this week goes along. If in fact that's announced, but as Ryan Day said later in the day, you know, they, he's willing to uh, look at other options. If in fact the big 10 does pull the plug, we'll see if his president and his athletic director are, I, I think there is sentiment for that, at least f- from Gene Smith's standpoint, because Gene Smith has been adamant all along. He wants to see the, the players who came back for this team I thought like a Wyatt Davis and a Josh Myers, Sean Wade. Uh, he wants to get, to, he wants to see them get to play. What would be their last season in college football? They're not. I don't think anyone at a, in the Big Ten, or at least in the Big Ten upper realm, definitely at Ohio State. I don't think anyone is that interested at all in discussing a spring season because it doesn't make sense in all kinds of ways. And uh, and you talk about kicking the can. That would really be kicking the can. Yeah, a spring season is not an option for uh, 10 reasons that I've listed on Letterman Road yes. before and, a do- and, and probably dozens more on top of that that, that we haven't even got to. Uh, Ryan Day and Scott Frost, and Nebraska coach, both said the same thing. They play anywhere, and it's, if it were up to them, they would be doing that and organizing games against Alabama and Clemson and, and Georgia and Texas and Oklahoma. Unfortunately, says this kind of play. Go ahead now. Yeah, but it's and and if it were up to just Gene Smith, they would do that as well. The the difficulty is the fact that Ohio State is locked into contracts with the Big Ten and that they have uh, you know a president who was part of that call on Sunday and standing in the way of them being able to play too. I, I know it's it's easy to blame all the other schools, but Ohio State's president is part of this until. You know, President-elect Christina Johnson is on board with them playing. You can't even begin to pursue the the legal loopholes that you're going to have to when your media rights are owned by the Big Ten. Um, That's a huge, huge, huge amount of money that we're talking about, and they're not going to let that go without a fight. So those are just, you know, I don't. I I said it earlier on Monday. I don't want to rain on anyone's parade, and it's really, really fun to think about Ohio State playing in the SEC or playing Oklahoma and Texas in a regular season this year. But that's, that's not going to be an outcome. Uh, there's just no way that that could possibly be uh, managed at this point. So what you need 
And I said this when, when it felt so weird a couple weeks ago, you and I were talking about, you know, the SEC and the Pac-12 are the teams that came up with the most, uh, you know, forward-thinking, reasonable schedule by pushing to September 26th. Mm-hmm. Well, you still have that to work with. The thing I was most surprised about last week, and I guess we didn't have a chance to talk about this on your podcast then, was why on earth Ohio State and Illinois were scheduled for September 3rd? Mm-hmm. Why on earth? They were supposed to be playing Rutgers on September 12th when Rutgers will not be playing games in the first two or three weeks of the season. Right. Like, you just flushed away all that built-in flexibility that you were trying for, and they felt so good. They're patting themselves on the back for Jenga 41, and look how cool this is. You can't, you're not going to be playing until September 26th. These other leagues just told you that, that you need a month to prepare – and the fact that you, I just – I can't get around right, it. Here, yeah. Well, let's jump to the heart of the matter. That was just released last week, that schedule. That schedule written in pencil, as I keep saying, with a big eraser on the end of it. You know, one of those kind – remember the one you would buy to put on the end of the pencil? Yeah. And – uh, Get the – we got a three-inch uh, rubber eraser. Yeah, yeah. Keep it handy, especially me. Uh, heck, I made mistakes even with pencil. I mean, even after I fixed it. But I digress. Uh what do you think? What do you think drove this sudden? And it was sudden, based on the sort of feel-good story of a week ago, not even a week ago, of the schedule. And this is tentative. We can still cancel the season. You know, Kevin Warren was up front on that, and the at the commissioner of, of the Big Ten. What suddenly made it all of a sudden on Sunday, over the weekend, but Sunday, so, or Saturday and Sunday, so suddenly acute that it had to be dealt with then and early this week. You know, like you said, the flexibility was built in here to kick the can. Instead, they decided to reach over and pull the plug, perhaps. Well, what, what do, you, do you think it's the idea of facing the possibility of a player, quote, union, end quote? What, what do you think is driving this bus off the road? Yeah, I mean, I'd be curious – uh, your thoughts on this as well, because I think that this is speculation on my part. I don't know exactly what was discussed on Saturday night or Sunday night. Um, and they are currently focusing heavily on, you know, the, the cardiovascular right. repercussions. And that's that's fine. But I think that that's a pretty weak scapegoat, honestly. And that might sound insensitive, but if it can be found with other cases of colds and, and other illnesses, look – if you asked every one of these players who are posting about we want a season, they know that they can break their necks playing this game. Yeah. Risk of COVID-19 and cardiovascular repercussions to them is not something that's going to be a deterrent to them playing. And if it is, that's why they have the option not to play. Yeah. So what has changed in the last week? I don't want to point to this specifically being we are united. We want a season PAC 12 united all of these organizational things. We want to play. But it is wildly coincidental that that's really the only thing that's materially changed because a lot of these studies about the long-term impacts, are, in, are they're not done or the indications already existed before last week, certainly before last Wednesday. Yeah. When, when somebody signed off and said, you know what, Kevin Warren, it's okay. Go ahead and release this schedule into the wild. Yeah. Well, here's what's interesting is what you just said. And I brought it up with, you know, I'm I'm talking to people all the time, just like you are. And the thing about COVID-19 is you don't, you don't know where it's going to come from, where it's going to hit you. 
if you let these, you know, suddenly you disband the football team for the year and you let them out in the general populace, they probably have much more of a chance of con contracting it or you know, contacting and then contracting. <laughs> uh, a lot of actings there. Yep. Uh, but then, like I put forth with this, this person today, if somebody tests positive for it on your team, you put them aside, which Ohio State has already done before, and can isolate them. You contact tracing with them, see who else might be in jeopardy. You do the testing. But then that person may or may not be asymptomatic, you know, may, may have tested positive, may not be showing any signs, may get a few symptoms. But the point is, then you leave it up to that, that person and his family, whether they want to continue playing football or not this fall, if in fact he – he comes back clean later, but you can still have long lasting effects in certain, certain people have had these long lasting effects from this thing, uh, jeopardy that they face. Some have it, you know, many, many have it, but then you put it, you know, kind of like in their ballpark of whether they want to quote unquote risk coming back playing, knowing there could be long-term effects. But the point is for anybody who gets COVID-19, there's the possibility of long-term effects, not just football players. It's not going to be exacerbated by football players playing each other. I mean, you, you follow my drift on that. It's kind of like a disease that anybody can get. So if you don't have players out there who, who have tested positive for it in the last two weeks who are playing, probably the chances are slight that they're going to contract it by playing the actual game. But – the long-term effects of it are going to be there for anybody who does get it possibly. So then you take, you know, you put it up to them whether or not they want to come back and play. Cause like I said, you could just, you know, this is going to affect people no matter who you are down the line, a lot of people down the line and there's nothing to do about it, whether you play football or not. And I don't, you know, I still don't believe we've seen definitively what Ohio state, the academic institution is doing about on-campus learning, in-person learning, um, you know, there's this notion out there that, you know, teams are going to be sending players home if the season is canceled. Well, that, that doesn't make any sense. If they're no. still members of your – they're still school. If they're still in your school and they're still going to be working out in your facility, and are you going to have them have any in-person learning opportunities? There's also going to be risk of them when you have the student population that is going out to open restaurants, open bars, uh, anything else that would be uh, available to them on campus – potentially parties. We, we've all uh, been in college before and we know how it works. This, this idea, it's not that it, the safest place for the football players is in the football building. Exactly. And it's not, they're not making this up. That's the fact of the matter. Dr. And Teague, it, Dr. Corey Teague, you know, Master Teague III's uh, dad, I had him on a, uh, a, a video that's, that's for, on LettermanRoad.com that you can watch right now. And that's kind of what he talked about. I mean, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but the safest place for these guys now is the way they've set up things with the football program. I mean, they're not staying in a sequestered hotel or something somewhere. They're going back to their apartments, you know, for example, and that's worked. You agree that's worked pretty well for them to this point. Yeah, and it's not, not lip service to them that they're like, you know, really doing this great job and you're leading them on about it. I mean, it's right. – all programs are this way. Exactly. Um, you know, they, you know, they have, they've gone to great lengths and great expense 
to try to play, again, because of what we talked about earlier, that the players want to and the coaches want to, families want to, the local businesses need them to, you know, all those reasons that we talked about, that everyone is going to great lengths to make this happen. And it's not fun for them. You know, Ryan Day was talking about this last week with the, you know, the workers, the hourly workers who need to, and the yeah. trainers and, and, and everybody else who works in the Woody, basically they're from sun up to sundown and sleeping for four or five hours to try and give guys an opportunity just to work out. Like this, this is hard work that they're putting into it. And you look at the amount of positive tests and the success rate, we don't know the exact number for Ohio State, but when they shut down, we know it was in the single digits for football. Uh, and you and I were told that every player was accounted for the start of practice last week. So that would lead me to believe there were zero uh, tests or contact tracing opportunities to knock them out. We know that's not, not everybody has been at zero. Michigan has been upfront about their totals. Right. We know where they stand and how they're managing that. But the, the, the most ludicrous part to me to get to this point is that they let them do these workouts for the last two months to prepare their players tested positive because they came back to campus to do them. And they at no point in the last two months, they say to the NCAA, the big 10 say league wide, shut it down. Right. I mean, that's initially the big 10 had some, some stipulations and reservations. I, I, I get that. I'm not trying to go too far with that, but why did they let them do it? Yeah. Not only did they put out yeah. a schedule, but they let, they say cleared them to start training camp on yeah. Thursday. But as we all know, as we all know, what they did in June and July is nothing is nothing like real football camp. Of course, yeah, of course. And uh, they, they and did. even and even Sorry. so and even so far, what they've done in preseason camp, the several days they've had a preseason camp, uh, is nowhere close to what real football is. Uh, but th- this is what's intriguing to me is so far you've had how many sports restart? You've had the NHL in their bubble, the NBA in their bubble, the MLS in their bubble. Major League Baseball's had some stumbles, <laughs> but they're still playing. The the uh, your you know the whatever that's called the Premier League those that thing you all you hoity toity people watch, they're still playing. Uh, we get called that very often. Yeah, I mean that's a you know, but like I've always said, football is the most congregational sport there is, where guys are up close with each other, meaning primarily linemen on every play that right. you don't have any other sport except rugby, you know. Uh, so there's that concern, but that concern's never really been voiced by the uh, powers that be that, you know, I've noticed that it was going to be necessarily something that they would look at the 1st of August to go, well, we can't do that. So it goes back to my original question to you. Do you truly believe that Mayor, maybe the organizational stuff that was going on the end of last week has a lot to do with this from the standpoint of uh, – union type situation that would hold people accountable, hold uh, institutions accountable. If in fact there is an outbreak, I mean, do you think that's what we're looking at? Well, I think that that is their, their greatest fear um, because they're under, they're under assault on several different fronts. And I'm not sure that they know how to respond accurately to them. Um, Namely being one that's been going on for a hundred years, which is their, uh, insistence on amateurism. Um, they have already, they already know that they're going to have to back down uh, in some form or fashion with name, image, and likeness. The thing that used to be this, you know, massive earthquake that we were all talking about coming to college football as a disruption. 
which, you know, I, it pales in comparison to, you know, schools being panicked over that happening on one hand and not, and being worried about a lifetime of liability for uh, COVID-19, um, you know, lasting permanent damage to cardiovascular systems. And, yeah. you know, they, they have, it, it took this pandemic. I mean, they, they combined into this massive, massive thing now because the players have realized their power at the same time with the social media protests or as the black Lives matters protests, excuse me, but they're also their social media voices and these concerns over here about other issues and, you know, the NCAA and schools really trying to pretend like they don't need college football to happen when deep down we all know they do. They've been trying to keep the power out of the hands of the players for so long. It took this situation for the players to really understand and harness it. They're not the first ones to ever speak out about it. And you think about how quaint the O'Bannon case really seems in hindsight, Yeah, you know, to all this that's going on now. But I, I think that these people are terrified that the gravy train they've ridden for so long is coming to an end. And I don't usually like to traffic in this sort of speculation or it almost sounds like a conspiracy theory, but it doesn't make sense that just purely this new risk of COVID-19 is enough for them to shut down college football. Because if that's true, for 125 years, they have looked the other way at the risk of concussions, paralyzation, the long-time fear that someday a player may just die on the field again. Um, or, you know, yeah. why was it okay for that risk and not this one? That's yeah. why I have, in my mind, it feels like I'm putting on a tinfoil hat to talk about this stuff, but it just does, the pieces just don't add up to me. Yeah, it's just really convenient and really interesting, though, how um, from a convenient standpoint, the organizers, you know, they're obviously there, there are people who are working behind the scenes to make these quote unquote union, end quote. Uh, I said quote three times there, but you know where I'm coming <laughs> from. Make these unions uh, come to fruition, have seized upon this opportunity when, in fact, uh, especially the share of the revenue kind of situation, when, in fact, colleges may reap the the smallest amount of revenue <laughs> that they've done since prohibition. No, I'm just joking. But since, since the fifties, you know what I mean? Seriously. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. But once you get your foot in the door, I think the idea is get your foot in the door now when it's convenient, when everybody's paying attention and you can like, you know, people are looking for news to write about number one, number two. Uh, yeah. It's what's clear is you can't, you can't watch. You, nobody shows up at a college football game and just watches the field. They want to see players playing, and uh, so now you got all these forces. Can you imagine? Seriously, though, can you imagine being Gene Smith right now, or some of these athletic directors who have been, you know, Gene Smith's been trying to get student athletes as much as he can for them under the rules. He always likes to play. He wants to be a good, a member in good standing or whatever organization they're in, NCAA, Big Ten. But the flip side of it, he has been fighting for so many things for for players. You know, like for example, uh, you know the the, the helping the uh, the uh, players' families get to go to the national championship game, which was an extra game. It wasn't. It was an extra bowl game that was going to hurt them back in 2014. That was huge. Yeah. You know, and uh, just little things like that. 
But now all of a sudden you're, you're getting hit from four or five sides with all kinds of things. It's got to be crazy, right? Yeah, and, and that's we, – we've talked about this so many times, but uh, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of challenges to, to playing these games. And, and now it's a, the snowball has finally got to the bottom of the mountain. It's been building for years. And COVID-19, I think, is the last straw to that uh, – in, in some ways it may have needed to break the back of the NCAA system because we love college football here. That goes without saying. You and I have devoted our lives to covering it. Yeah. Um, we, we absolutely love it. And, and to not have it is good, would be extremely painful. We don't want it. We're not even going to get into the, the trolls that say that college football reporters are pulling against it. Um, happening but there you and I as close as we've been to it we know that there are flaws in the way that they play it and the way that the athletes are treated Ohio State has it better than basically anywhere else Gene Smith is a huge part of that and I'm not talking about them specifically but you know across college football there are there's so much room to improve it and It's not a level playing field for everybody, and it never will be. Um, and and maybe this is the the change that gets um, new conferences, power conferences. But yeah, I just was intrigued by how some national writer said uh, the Mid American Conference pulling the plug was what started this thing rolling downhill. And I'm just going, this, ladies and gentlemen, with all due respect to the Mid American Conference, which which I have enjoyed covering way back when and stuff. We're talking apples and oranges. I mean, we're talking, we're talking about money that comes from the general fund or from the student activity fees in, in terms of running a program in the Mid-American Conference compared to the major schools out there, the Power Fives, uh, many of whom uh, generate their own revenue, most of, most of whom I think generate most of their own revenue from, from their football rights, et cetera, and some basketball. It's a total different uh, can of worms we're talking about there. So that's not what did it. I mean, uh, you know, there is some understanding of the of the fear of this COVID-19, which is still, like I said, it could creep in through the back door and you don't even know it's there until it's, you know, but then that happens, you shut down your team, right? I mean, you shut down. If you get eight or 10 guys like the Marlins did in baseball, you shut down your team until you get things under control. And uh, so that's why I do believe, like you just pointed out, a lot of things have come to bear all at the same time that have led us to this moment to where there might be very well could be a fall without college football. But, you know, I'm still waiting to hear from the SEC because Greg Sankey said, you know, patience is the key word. Patience has always been the key word there. I thought the Big Ten was practicing that about as well as anybody, you know. Uh, yeah, you put out a, you put out a penciled-in uh, schedule but it's got all these springs loaded, spring loaded where you can move it around and stuff. But then all of a sudden, five days later, Armageddon, are you kidding? Well, not only that, uh, when they released the schedule, they also had uh, thoroughly detailed plans for how they were going to manage COVID-19 with testing and how much testing, when you test, how, you, you know, self-quarantining, contact tracing the 14 days, which I thought was the thing that would, in the season with rosters being all shut down just because of contact tracing and the opportunity that you wouldn't be able to test out of that uh, with multiple negative tests. Like that was my biggest question about what would happen with the season. But the point is 
they laid out all the protocol. They put out a schedule and it had the protocol and they haven't even had a chance to test whether the protocol yeah. works. Well, that's what Ryan Day, that's what Ryan Day's big beef was this week was that, wait a minute, you know, we haven't, you haven't even tested what you said you were going to, to, to have as your protocols. You haven't even, you know, we haven't even gotten down that, down that road yet. And right now, you know, I think Northwestern's had some big problems, when I understand it, uh, with its athletic department, meaning athletes, et cetera, who've come back. Uh, that's why, you know, that was a scuttlebutt as we record this today. We know what uh, Rutgers' problems were or are. Uh, Maryland probably is facing similar jeopardy, et cetera. You know, we know Michigan State, you know, from the standpoint of testing, doesn't get their results back anywhere near what Ohio State does. Uh, Ohio State is equipped to test twice a week right now, getting like taking a test at like nine o'clock in the morning and having it available to you results by at least seven thirty or eight the next morning. Uh, everybody doesn't have that capability, but, but the point that was made in that protocol situation was they were going to go to a third party organization, which was going to handle testing two times a week, especially during the season. I don't think they've even lined that party up yet. The way I understand, I think it went out for bid you know, so, you know, uh, but so like you said, it was set up. That's why, you know, when you talked a while ago about you don't see it, you don't see Ohio State playing any games if, in fact, the Big Ten pulls the plug as adamant as Ryan Day was about looking into that if, in fact, the Big Ten pulls the plug. I think it's very interesting because there's a big difference right now from as we are recording this, you know, uh, no plug has been pulled yet as we record this. But if all of a sudden five plugs are pulled, as going back to what Urban Meyer said on my podcast many, many weeks ago, could be survival of the fittest and from the standpoint of, well, you know what? We've taken care of our business. We're willing to play schools that have taken care of their business, et cetera, and come up. I mean, I, I can see it happening. I can also see it not happening, but I can see it happening because there would be networks yeah, there are contracts, but if there are no games, if you can't fulfill that contract with the games that are that are proposed to be in that contract, those contracts kind of fall to the wayside. And there, there, are, there will be networks looking for inventory. That is for sure. I think we'd have to, you know, I am not the expert in that department, uh, but it's the uh, force, force majeure that I think we'd have to be looking into there because – you know, the SEC, for example, was trying to was using that to get their money out of contracts uh, with their non-conference opponents. Um, would that apply to Ohio State and their, uh, you know, grant of rights, broadcast deals with the Big Ten, uh, everything else that's entwined with being a member sure. of a conference? I, I don't. I, I honestly don't know the answer. Everybody that I had asked about it before, when it became such a popular question, hey. Could they, could they play it in another conference this year? Everybody told me no, that it was not something that they could work through. But, yeah. maybe, but maybe if the Big Ten is not playing, maybe. Yeah. maybe but I'm, not talking about, I'm not talking about playing in another conference. I'm but, talking about playing teams general, from yeah. other conferences. Yeah, right. that's, there's a big difference in my book there. This would, be a, this would be a Notre Dame free-for-all. You know what I mean? I mean, total independent, play who you can play. Uh, you know, suddenly work up, you know, Ohio State Clemson, eighth game of the year. You know what I mean? I mean, you believe me, there are networks that would line up to try to broadcast that game if, in fact, the, the uh, overall conferences uh, decide not to play. Now, the problem would be, would, would be obvious 
who would be officiating those games, you know, they're tied in with the, with the <laughs> leagues, et cetera. So, you know, yes, there, are, there would be all kinds. But in, in, in this year, uh, Boston, I'm not putting anything out of the realm of possibility. I'm just telling you. That's totally fair. And, and look, I mean, we're also talking about, like, if we're going to play in this sandbox, Nebraska wants to play, Iowa wants to play, Jim Harbaugh uh, spoke out and posted his statement yes. on Monday. James Franklin did the same thing. That's five. Like, you could realistically pull that off as a quasi-independent just with parts of the Big Ten that, that believes that it is able to play. Um, you know. Yeah. It's, it's – like, I'd much rather be thinking about that. And also, Ohio State could maybe play a better schedule if they were picking and choosing, you know, a game against Notre Dame and Clemson uh, as the bonus ones. I mean, you'd be looking at – imagine that broadcast deal. If Ohio State was allowed to go out on its own. Oh, yeah. And protected them own. Like, you know, Texas was able to cash in a while ago on the, on the Longhorn Network. If you had a one-year opportunity where Ohio State got to build a schedule like that and sell it, yeah. well, you're, you're, you're paying off – you're paying for every school or every, pro, every athletic um, – team on your school that year and for years to come because that would be an absolutely massive broadcast deal. A bowl game every week, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, testing uh, testing with testing in mind. <laughs> well, anyway, you know, that was a long-winded uh, uh, podcast there, but I, I think we touched on a lot of good good points. I really enjoyed having Rex Kern on with me. I appreciated uh, Dr. Corey Teague, the, the father of the Master Blaster, uh, Master Teague the uh, third, for coming on and, and doing uh, – uh, uh, video with that you can also find on YouTube and our on the LettermanRow.com U channel, mm-hmm. LettermanRow.com YouTube channel. Uh, that's easy for me to say three times. But uh, and of course, I always appreciate Boston Ward coming on with me. Boston, uh, you know, s- stay in semi quarantine, man, and uh, we'll see how everything flies. I mean, by this time next week, there's a good chance the picture could be a lot clearer. But there's a good chance we could be looking into a pond full of mud again. Uh, as this thing goes along, agreed. I would love some resolution on this. Uh, it's just, it's all of it is really hard to really. Ca- you just catch yourself. You're in the middle of these conversations, and you go ten different tangents. I, I really, I mean this when I say this, not specifically about Gene Smith. Like all these presidents and all these administrators have a very difficult job. Yes. Right now, it, harder than it has ever been or ever will be again, probably, and the to make a decision to postpone, cancel, play, like none of it is easy for them. And I get it. I'm glad that they're doing it and not me. Uh, I try to my best to keep an open mind with what they're going to do with any decision they make. They've got a lot more information at their hands than I do. But, and it's that option, that nuclear option, I just don't, I don't know why they were racing to get there. But you know what? If you can open the school somewhat, like Ohio State, I think is still planning to do you know, in some form or fashion. If you can, I mean, the Ohio Union opened this week, you know, reopened, they said, you know, I'm sure there are social distancing rules involved, et cetera. If you can reopen school, you got to figure you could play football is all I'm saying, based on the quarantine situation the football team has put itself in in all of these major schools. And uh, so we'll see uh, when we're back here next week, ladies and gentlemen, we, we will see – uh, w- what the lay of the land looks like. But uh, for Boston Ward, this is Tim May. Thanks again for watching the Tim May podcast.